Welcome back to another Invest Like a Billionaire podcast. I'm your co-host, Ben Frazier, joined by fellow co-host, Bob Frazier. And today we are doing another Top of Mind episode. We've been on a roll of these recently. Uh, we kind of come out and do these when there's some newsworthy things to comment on. And there's been a lot of the news recently that's uh, interesting to discuss. And wake up call for investors. Yeah. Wake up call. It's been definitely a unique time in the market. And uh, you can see on the screen behind me here, I pulled up an article that we... Uh, it was just on the Wall Street Journal front page just a week or two ago, and it's called A Housing Bust Comes for Thousands of Small-Time Investors. And we've got a lot of, you know, investors of ours and others reaching out saying, oh, is this, you know, a, a, a bigger issue? Is this what you guys are doing? And, you know, the whole concept uh, of syndications and, you know, the the, the article kind of talks about the story of what happened here. Which yeah, we'll so get explain into. what happened. This is the Invest Like a Billionaire podcast, where we uncover the alternative investments and strategies that billionaires use to grow wealth. The tools and tactics you'll learn from this podcast will make you a better investor and help you build legacy wealth. Join us as we dive into the world of alternative investments, uncover strategies of the ultra wealthy, discuss economics, and interview successful investors. Looking for passive investments done for you? With Aspen Funds, we help accredited investors that are looking for higher yields and diversification from the stock market. As a passive investor, we do all the work for you, making sure your money is working hard for you in alternative investments. In fact, our team invests alongside you in every deal so our interests are aligned. We focus on macro-driven alternative investments so your portfolio is best positioned for this economic environment. Get started and download your free economic report today. So basically what this uh, article is showing is is a firm called Apple's Way um, was a syndicator, right? And so you've heard the term before, you, you know, if you invest with us, you know, what we do is syndications and uh, basically pooling together investor capital to go purchase, um, in this case, multifamily so apartments. syndicator raises money from a pool of investors. They go put it together and they go buy an asset like an apartment complex in Apple's way case, and then they take fees and that from from that. Uh, right. And so very common business model. Yeah. And, and generally the idea is you go and you buy a apartment complex that's maybe mismanaged, but it's in a great area. It's got some good bones and you can you know, do what's called a value add to it where you're improving the, um, the area, you're improving the units and you can rent them at higher rates, kind of at the market rate. And you can force appreciation. So it's a, it's a business model that's been proven for decades and decades. It's uh, a proven way to make money if you do it right. But what happened and what's so interesting about this is we've been kind of talking about this, you know, not, right. a, lot, not a lot in the podcast, but at least internally of where we're, we've been warning our investors for a couple yeah. of years that this was happening. Yeah. And, and, and basically calling it a syndication bubble, right? Because what we've seen over the past really three years, especially is all these different syndicators, you know, put air quotes around that syndicators are coming out of the woodwork and being kind of sold the idea that, oh, I can go and start raising money and replace my W-2 and you know, become a real estate investor and expert without any background or any experience. And that's kind of what this guy did. So, so the genesis of that is, is these guys that created these masterminds around syndication and capital raising. So the idea is this, you hate your job, you want to stop working for your money. In fact, a quote here says, I'm sick and tired of working for my money. The guy who started <laughs> Apple's way, I'm sick and tired of working for my money in IT. 
I became a syndicator. So you go to these groups and they teach you how to raise money from investors, how to find deals and how to, how to do deals. And, but these are guys that don't have any, they don't have a financial background. They don't have a, you know, financial real estate background. And what happened is they're doing deals that shouldn't have been done. So as prices were skyrocketing, so you saw rents going hockey stick, right? Last couple of years. And prices of these properties are going hockey stick. And so the, the ask is going huge. Well, then these syndicators, because they're trying to get a deal, they have to get a deal done. Yep. They're overpaying. Right. They're overpaying. And then they're adding leverage, I mean, borrowing that they shouldn't be adding. They're over leveraging with really bad debt in order to get a deal done. Then they go to investors and say, got the deal. We got the deal. But it's a deal that has, should never have been done. And yeah. professionals would never have done these deals. So let's, let's walk through a little bit of the red flags here, right? Because the concern is, one, is this all of the things I've invested? I've invested in syndications before, are all my deals like this? And two, is there an apocalypse coming to multifamily, right? These are right. kind of the, the initial you know, knee-jerk concerns that uh, investors are having when they read this. And I think it's important to kind of you know, parse through this uh, article because there are some really clear things that this you know, individual did that were pretty big red flags. What are they? And so, you know, first off, the guy was an IT professional, right? So nothing against IT professionals. We, we love them. We all, we all need IT. <laughs> but that doesn't necessarily mean you are going to be a real estate entrepreneur success story, right? And obviously you can translate a lot of skills into it. But basically th this individual went and he purchased over 7,000 units. Which is mostly. What is that uh, half a billion dollars, especially in, in these are, I think, Sunbelt market. So $500 million in real estate. Um, it didn't have the time frame that he did it in, uh, but it's over a pretty short period of time. And so 7,000 units. And so the, the whole point of this article is that 3,000 of those units are being foreclosed on right now. So it's, I think it's oh, in excess of $200 million. Um, and it's looking like it's probably going to be a complete equity wipe for well, a foreclosure is an equity wipe. Yeah. So if it is an if they complete foreclosure and they don't do a deal, it is an equity wipe, which means anybody anybody any uh, junior debt is going to be completely wiped, and any private equity is going to be completely wiped, and any equity is going to be completely wiped. Right. In a foreclosure, so it's it's an apocalypse scenario where right everybody except the bank, the the, the senior lien holder yeah. loses. So the, the first red flag was experience, right? When you're looking at a syndicator, a, a sponsor firm to invest with, you want to look at the track record. What have they done before? And, you know, this guy was a very good salesman, obviously, to, to raise money to go purchase half a billion dollars worth of real estate. But it was all done in a very short period of time. And then some of the things he was saying, right? He's quoting basically almost guarantees of returns and just saying the, the sky is the limit on how much money we're going to make. And he basically said, I don't care about the economy because I just I make money no matter what. And yeah, just saying all these claims that are just really, to me, arrogance and exuberance, right? It's like, oh, the market's only going to go up. Um, and then kind of the next big yellow flag, and this is something we have talked a lot on the podcast about, is debt, right? And purchasing these uh, properties with what we would argue is, is bad debt. Right. And, you know, we'll get into this in a minute, but Multifamily is an asset class. You know, it's going through a, a reset right now, a little bit of a correction because there was so much uh, price appreciation over the past several years. But from a fundamental standpoint, supply and demand, right. 
there's still a massive demand for housing. There's a there's a shortage of how many units have we seen the estimates I've seen range. I think it's five to seven million right now. Shortage in America of housing unit shortage, and so so you've got this this you know this hockey stick price appreciation. It's like the stock market if it just suddenly just goes hockey stick. Well, there's a period of time where it has to correct. But the fundamentals of the housing market are still very solid. So this is where these guys have been playing off this fundamentals and showing this housing shortage. But they're they're doing deals that shouldn't be done. I mean, and the guy growing this fast, well, he. The, the, I'll tell you how you win bids. You just become the high bidder. Right? <laughs> right. And I can I can become the high bidder on anything I want to and win a lot of deals. Doesn't mean the deal should be done. And so that's that's what he did, and then you convince these bridge debt to 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 become lenders. But back to your point about debt, right? So so the the debt, right? We saw kind of in 2018, 2019, with rates being as low as they were, and bridge debt, which is basically non bank debt. These are private equity firms that are coming in. They were they were funding. I remember getting quotes on some of the deals we were doing at eighty percent leverage, loan to cost, uh, on just the purchase, and then a hundred percent of the renovations, right? So in a value-add deal, that can be a pretty big deal. So you're leveraged probably 85% on your senior senior debt. And because of that, from a syndicator standpoint, especially an inexperienced one, that's really attractive because it means I have to raise less equity, right? And so, and 80% on what? Is this on an, on a on a uh, appraisal or is this on a, on a pro forma or what is it? What is the 80 It was usually limited to the appraised value, yeah. Yeah, but the appraised values went ballistic. Oh yeah. So so it's literally it's it's a really approaching a hundred percent of real value because the the appraisals were were kind of right uh, optimistic. Yeah, sure. And so so here's here's what happened. So basically, it's like buying this apartment complex with debt with no equity, where you're pretty much getting your lenders to to put in all the money for this thing, and including all the rehab costs, which can be significant. Right. And uh, and you should they, no one should be doing deals like that, right? And because of the low rates, obviously it's um, they they got really aggressive right. on leverage, and it it propped up a lot of these so, these kind of so marginal these, deals. These, these bridge lenders, they're private lenders, they're not banks, these right? Private equity co- companies, and they were lending at you know what three and four percent, right? Yep. But it's variable rate. Variable rate. It's they would not fix rate. the rate. They would not fix the rate. So. Yep. Hey, as long as rates stay low, we're all great. And let's let's just put in our in our spreadsheets rates stay low, you know? Yep. And you know, abracadabra. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, they don't. So these are again not professional underwriters who did this kind of thing and they're not measuring the risks. Right. And it was, you know, at, at that stage everyone thought all oh, rates were going to be low forever. There's a lot of exuberance around multifamily. Hey, everyone's going to make money. Hey, this model's been proven and and then you, but you're in a highly leveraged deal with a variable rate loan. And obviously, we all know what has happened over the past 12 months, right? With interest rates, they've gone up the fastest uh, on record. Um, and so apparently, it wasn't initially covered in this article, but from word on the street from other people that I know that are around this, that he did not purchase a rate cap, which basically on bridge debt, a lot of times the lenders would you require fix you, you fix to, the rate. to buy like an interest rate swap or a cap where you have a, a max amount of uh, how far the uh, interest rate can go. But in this case, he did not. And so obviously Pure you're going to be already cash flow constrained on a big value add rehab. Well, the other kind of big downside with these, um, with these loans, the bridge debt is they have short maturities. So they only have three year maturities. And so 
it's very difficult, especially in a really big, big project to complete a, a, a full business plan reversal in three years. It's possible, but everything has to go right. Right. And sometimes you can buy extensions, but meanwhile, you have this floating rate. And so, you know, red flag number one, no track record. Red flag number two, getting very aggressive on the leverage. And then red flag number three, and this is where I think everything kind of just started going downhill, was he was an individual operator. So he purchased half a billion dollars of apartments, just him. That's a long dude. He had no boots on the ground. He wasn't, um, you know, he wasn't tied in with asset management, with uh, boot, uh, property management, and, and the property managers let these, you know, properties just go into the toilet. And you can see some of the pictures on this article. I mean, it's just just terrible that the, the tenants were in you know pretty bad conditions and so you know he was this very exuberant charismatic person able to raise a lot of money and got this idea in his head um and ultimately is gonna be so lots of money let me out. just walk through the cash flow for a minute yeah okay so you buy this 50 million dollar apartment complex you put in you know you raise equity from investors of five million or ish, right? And now you buy this thing. Well, and it's cash flowing supposedly, right? It's got so you you basically collect the rents and then you 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 pay the debt at three percent. And and there's usually the debt service coverage ratio is like one point two or one point two five. So you're getting you have enough money to pay the bills of the apartment complex and pay the debt and have have a quarter amount of your debt payments kind of left over. So that's the idea. And it's all great. You have a little bit of cash trickling to the bottom line. You pay your investors, you do distributions, or you rehab the property. But what happens when that rate goes from 3% to uh, seven, 7 plus percent, 8%, 8%. 8%. Well, all of a sudden, that debt payment goes double or triple, right? right? All of a sudden, there's no money coming to the bottom line. In fact, you can't. there's not enough cash flow from the property to pay the debt anymore. And that that's if everything stayed the same. In fact, he started having massive delinquency problems. The whole, the, the tenants started because moving out. Properly taking care. care of these places, so right. the tenants are leaving. And so bottom line is that's when a foreclosure happens. So again, this is just a really poorly constructed deal and right. without any thought of, of risk mitigation. And here's the thing too, that you're not to get too technical with on the math side of things, but when you look at cap rate, right? It, especially in the Sunbelt markets and the Houston, Texas markets, Obviously, they're going to trade at a, at a premium to other markets because of the of the growth that's going on. But the lower the cap rate, right? So if you're purchasing a property at a three or a four percent cap rate, right? And cap, cap rate is basically price divided by uh, annual income. So, and what that means, the cap rate is if you wrote a check cash for this apartment complex, what would be your earnings per year? Yep. And in percentage, so. I've seen cap rates in Dallas as low as two and a half percent a couple years ago. Right, two point five percent. So you write a fifty million dollar check, you're getting a two and a half percent return on that money. Yep, that's <laughs> nuts. That's wrong. It's wrong. And so, but so let's think about this, right? So we've we've seen um, okay, but yeah. then. And then the way, so how does that make, how they make it make sense? Well, as soon as you leverage like crazy, and if you can put in 90% leverage, and we right. saw deals, I saw a deal in Dallas, Texas, 2.5% cap rate, 80% loan, and then 10% private equity on top of that. Yep. So it's 90% leverage. Yep. So your equity dollars, 
you're buying 90% leverage. Well, you put 90% leverage on a two and a half cap yield, it actually makes great returns. <laughs> it, but it's a bug looking for a windshield. Right. I mean, it, this is this is a disaster with, but they put in the projections of what it's going to be, you know. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, a, a lot of these deals, it's your high leverage. You can make the numbers say what you want right. to say. But what what I kind of equate them to is you're, you're paying for the future value of an asset right now and taking all the risk to get to that right when you're buying it at a two and a half cap you're basically you're paying so much for the current income you're basically buying your future price but you're paying all of it now you're taking all the risk so again not to say all multifamily is bad and all you know um you know these value add strategies are bad but when you have a poorly constructed deal with a bad capital stack you buy it for an insane price and Obviously, has some 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 something. One of the Domino's tips, which in this case was interest rates, and it just cascaded into the whole set of other problems. Um, it's it's a big a big deal. Yeah. So, obviously, we want to come on here and just just share some of the the, well, the, where the concerns, right? Yeah. Well, I I think it's the big question, right, that we're getting from investors is is this is this the first one to pop, and this is you know all coming all down. multifamily yeah. is going to explode, right? <laughs> right. And so that's why we say we want to thread the needle of, you know, what what's what's important to understand from the fundamentals and what was just a bad deal. And I think, again, there's a lot of red flags here. But as we stated earlier, multifamily as an asset class still has a lot of tailwinds behind it, right? Right. And, and from our standpoint as investors and opportunistic investors that are looking at the macroeconomic picture of where the best opportunities are going to be, we still like multifamily. We want to keep investing there. But we're going to, we're investing differently than we were a couple of years ago because the strategies um, are, are changing. So we're shifting with the ties, but multifamily, you know, it's still a big shortage. There's still a big need for There's housing. A huge need for housing. And, and right now we're actually seeing new construction starts plummeting uh, right. for obvious reasons of it's getting more expensive to, to build. And some of the exuberance has, has left the market. So a couple of years from now, we're going to be in actually a worse position uh, than right. we are right now. So so playing the long games, here, here's our forecast yeah. at Aspen. So playing the long game, apartments, are, apartments. there's not enough. There's not enough single family homes either. So it's both multifamily and single are you just, are there's a lot of building that needs to happen. There's still a shortage in America right. of, of housing units. So long game, it's going up. Long game part two is you're going to see inflation continue. And this is part of my Yep. You know, our economic thesis is you're going to see higher inflation, not not sky high inflation, but we will see higher than 2% for an extended period of time. Well, that is going to raise rents. So this stuff, long game, apartments are going to be super good. Short game, I do think it's going to get a little ugly. Yep. And and so to me, this is a great opportunity, right? For those of us that haven't, haven't you know, been walking the knife's edge for the last three years in our deals... Um, we're going to do just fine. And and in fact, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity. In fact, we're seeing some opportunities right now being presented to us that are extremely lucrative for investors. Right. And I think the, the, the key here, right, is to play the long game, you have to have good debt in place. And that's yes. what we've been saying from the get-go. And we've, we've actually never done a deal with bridge debt. We've only ever done right. five-year fixed rate term from, with traditional from traditional lenders which is banks, banks where we're actually signing on the loans right, that, right. and that, that's the big deal with these these uh, bridge debt guys they didn't require recourse so they would actually what does that mean? They, they didn't actually require the general partners to sign and guarantee Personal the loan guarantee. personally 
So literally, if we lose a deal, the bank's coming after us to collapse, <laughs> right. you know, personally. So and we signed that paper, you know. Right. And uh, so let, let's get into it real quick. Uh, it's kind of the last thing here because, again, but, but let's do, yeah. before we do that. So just the short term. I mean, so one of the one of the stats that uh, that we saw recently was from Fitch, and these oh, is, sure. this is a ratings agency. Um, that rates commercial mortgage-backed securities, okay? They're well-known ratings agency like S&P or Moody's, and they rate them, and they were looking at the 2023, this year maturities, right, um, what's coming, and and they said of the of the loans that are maturing this year, 23% of them will not qualify for refinance mm. due to loan-to-value, the too high of, too, the loan is too big and the value yeah. doesn't support it, or debt service coverage ratio means there's not enough cash flow to pay the new rates. 23% right, are a quarter. Qualify. So they're going to literally blow up. And now their their view was that the servicers were going to do something to help these guys and not just, not just take the property. So I think that's a little optimistic, but it just gives you a picture of the scale. Um, I saw... I saw another another statistic from some of the Traxxas. I can't remember the name of the firm. Mm, um, yeah, and they're saying over five years we're seeing about uh, about just shy of a trillion dollars worth of worth of financing that's going to hit maturity. So we do think there's going to be some price softness in multifamily. For from our point of view, that is an incredible buying opportunity. When when you see the long game going up, yep, and you see the short game going down. That's called a buy signal. It's called right? dislocation, so, price yeah, dislocation. So it's, so it's really, really a great opportunity, and we're we're looking at distressed deals right now that we could we could jump into and and really make a killing on. And um, and I think it begs the question, right? Is well, how do I distinguish between a good deal that's just you know run out of a little bit a little bit of capital? My operator is doing a capital call, right? Versus a sinking ship like one of these deals that. You know, one more point before yeah. you, get, you get to there. What is this 2008? Is this 2008 all over again, right? Where well, we saw a dramatic, I mean, we really saw the, you know, the whole economic system of the United States and the world starting to into spiral down. Okay. Let me say unequivocally, this is not 2008. Right. Okay. 2008 was a, what started as a, as a, uh, it was a, uh, a, uh, a, a debt crisis in, um, you know, it was a, uh, you know, what you call it, a subprime crisis, right? It was lending that sh should not have been made. And it was a very large scale and it became a banking crisis. And that's right. the reason it became systemic, was not real estate values, but banks, okay? Ban when, and banks were going under in droves, if you remember. Yeah. Okay, we are, this is not, doesn't have, there's no way this is gonna become a banking crisis, okay? It's it's not happening, and we're we're seeing where the where the world had been overbuilt in terms of housing units in two thousand eight. Right. We're seeing the opposite now. So fundamentally, it's different, and two, it's not a banking crisis. So we're not going to see the same kind of systemic meltdown that we saw in two thousand eight. And I think to your earlier point, inflation is going to cover over a lot of sins. Oh yeah, right. So if a lot of these deals can hold on, just get yeah, just, the, just just get through the, the next couple the, of years, the turbulence, make a lot of money for you're going to be okay. So that's why I think again, debt is so, so key here, and I think why we're still bullish on multifamily and you know some of these opportunities. Good. So okay, now to your point. So I I think to to because I've had this question a lot from investors and other you know capital raisers that are in deals that are having capital calls and they're What's asking a capital call. Um, yeah. So basically, a, a operator if they have run out of funding to either complete their their business plan or to finish renovations or 
um, you know, maybe the vacancy is higher than they expected at that at that point in time. Um, uh, they need more capital to get through, right? And so, a lot of times they'll first go to the equity investors. Well, first probably go to the bank and say, "Hey, can we get a little bit more to complete the plan?" Right now, banks are tightening; they don't nope. want to lend any more money out out to deals. So the next the next place that these operators are going is to um, uh, the equity investors, right? And so you so may have, put more money. So you've already invested yes. in this deal. Put in more capital to rescue the deal. It's a troubled deal, but put in more capital in order to save your existing capital, really. Exactly. And, you know, the the initial kind of thought is, well, I don't want to put good money after bad, right? If this is a bad deal, I don't want to put more money in there and potentially lose more than I already was going to lose. And so I think it's important to distinguish, you know, is this a deal that can be rescued with a, a, another capital injection or is this a sinking ship? So you're so, a banker. How do you do that? Well, I will say it, it is complicated, right? <laughs> but some, some of the things to, to look for is really understand what went wrong, right? Based on the initial projections, mm-hmm. initial underwriting, where where did it get off, right? Because you didn't plan on running out of money, so where, what was that? And was it something that was out of control of the operator? And was it something that, one, makes sense, and two, is fixable, right? So in a lot of cases, especially during COVID, we saw a massive uh, run-up in prices on uh, construction materials, uh, there's a massive labor shortage. So renovation and construction costs skyrocketed for a period of about 12 to 18 months. Mm-hmm. Right. That was, that's out of the control of the operator. Um, but then, you know, was it, was it something that, you know, they just mismanaged? Was it uh, a property management problem? Uh, did the property manager not do good tenant screening where they just put in anybody that could fog a mirror into the units and, you know, just collecting rent, but now delinquencies are back up. So what you want to be able to see and understand is, what what went wrong? Is it fixable? And then two, where are they at right now in the business plan? So are they able to achieve the rents that they thought they were going to hit beforehand, or are they achieving higher rents, right? And you know where are they? At? How much capital do they need? What's the runway that they that they have to make it? Because I will say, if a deal is fundamentally in a good position, but they just need you know say X percent of capital to finish the plan and get it back to where it needs to be. It might make sense to pull a little bit more money in there than to take a big a big loss, right, on whatever you've invested um, if the business plan is sound. And so um, it can be a little bit scary, right, and understandably so, but really really diving into and ask, asking all the hard questions, right, and asking an operator who's who's going to be very face up with what, what's going on you, is you, really important. You three points, I'll give a fourth, and that is, you know, so let's say they do a capital call for $2 million bucks. But they don't bring in the full two million. You're not. You haven't saved anything, right? So, so they do a capital call. They need two million. They do a capital call for three million, but only half a million of people agree to it. Well, you've just put in your money, and so you they you really have to know that that they they can get the money and that they need to. Otherwise, you're just writing. You are writing good money after bad. But, um, you know, and and I think the number one reason to not do a deal is if it is an operator failure. Yes. G- give I, an I example of, of the of the Salt Lake deal that they, you know, mismanaged the budget, came back, did a capital call, and you did not participate yeah, uh, exactly. because you felt it was misrepresentation. And yeah, so, the, yeah, this is a very large deal, and this is not an Aspen deal. Let me let me say this. So just my own personal capital that I put in into a deal. It was a big development deal in Salt Lake City, and it was a uh, doing a big hotel development and uh, it was a really good deal. And and I believe the they got a $50 million 
uh, GMAX bid, construction bid. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't GMAX. It wasn't GMAX, sorry. <laughs> when they went back to go and to, to actually you know, sign and write the checks, they raised the money successfully. Well, it wasn't 50 million, it was 80 million. To do the construction. To do the construction. And I'm going, how do you miss that? I mean, yeah, we did have, but where's the GMAX contract? They didn't have a GMAX contract in, and you assume that there's basic things like this. And their first lender dropped out, and they, their their bridge lender came in and said, well, we'll pick up the deal at a much higher interest rate. It was like double the interest rate. They didn't even disclose this and the whole thing. So so these guys were clearly incompetent. Well, so they wrote you a letter and said, hey, you know, this is what I thought was so, so ironic. So, well, our construction costs almost doubled. Our first position lender, our first, our bank freaked out and, and dropped failed. out. So now our second position lender is taking first position. And interest interest costs are way higher than they originally planned. But hey, you know what? We actually discovered that we uh, were really conservative on our in rent our, projections. Our, our projections. So, so just, our new we're going to make a lot more money than we thought. Yeah. So our our new out. investor returns are actually higher than we originally thought. How how does that work? That, that's <laughs> called spreadsheet magic. Spreadsheet magic. You know. And so, so I didn't I didn't participate in that in that deal, you know. So I still think I'm going to actually make money on that deal, believe it or not. Yeah. So they, <laughs> well, they raised they raised the money and off off to the races they go, you know. So, right. But again, uh, you know, hopefully some some helpful thoughts here. We wanted to kind of come on here and just talk about what what we're seeing and what investors questions are being asked to us and. Hopefully this was helpful for you to understand just some of the basics and looking for red flags, right? And doing the right due diligence and asking, you know, a lot of times individuals and investors, I think, make it a lot more complicated than it needs to be. Just ask yeah. the basic questions, ask the really simple questions. And if, if it doesn't add up, yeah, you know, dig deeper. And if it continues not to add up, pass. Yeah. And I've, <laughs> I've been saying for almost two years now, look at the debt. Yep. That's the main thing you want to look at. Back before interest rates blew up, I said, you've got to look at the debt. You've got to look at the debt, understand how deep is the debt, right? Here's the value of the property and here's the value of the debt. That's if you're at 80%, it's too much. If you're at 70%, it's probably too much, right? And it's got to be lower than that because then if property prices drop 30% and it's at 70, you're still probably okay. And look at the rates, look at the rates and look at private equity. So look at the entire capital stack. That's the most important thing, right? So, you know, in our, in our view, one of the things we do with every deals that, that we look at is we, we look at a, we have a, always have a plan B for every asset we buy. So we do, Hey, we have a three-year development plan or a five-year value add plan, which means we're going to do our thing in three or five years, we're going to exit. But what if that doesn't work? If there's a hiccup. Right. I want to make sure that in every one of our deals, we can we can pull the ripcord on a deal and go long term, yep. knowing that inflation will save our bacon, right? Even if yep. even if the deal goes, but we're not going to lose the deal short term. And if we hold it for ten years, yeah, well, our investors will be disappointed because they went we went longer. But in a ten year period, we're going to make more money. Okay, the idea is that that we'll let time, we'll let inflation bail us out and turn, return a really nice deal to investors, even if it's a little bit late. So every deal we do has a plan B. Yep. You know, that's one of the advantages of, of having, you know, gone through multiple economic cycles that, you know, that a few of us have done. You know, we, we understand that, hey, the music stops sometimes, right? And everybody's <laughs> happy when the music's playing, but, you know, when the music stops, you better have a place to sit down. You hope you have a chair. Yeah, hope you have a chair. <laughs> 
Awesome. Well, thanks so much for listening. I hope you got some value out of today's and be t- sure to tune in next time. And if you're enjoying the podcast, we always appreciate you to rate and review so we can share this with more people. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.